This is what we call the Grouch and the Brainstorm. That is the name of this podcast, and it comes from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, just FYI. Um, do you know where it comes from, Matt? You told me, but I've already forgotten. Yeah, I figured. Okay. I'm not the Brainstorm. Well, first off, my name is Mike. I'm an alcoholic, and I've been sober since June 21 of 2011, if that means anything at all. Um, with me today, I have Matt and Jill. Matt is going to be the... Uh, grouch jill will be the brainstorm Hmm. and if if you go back and look in the big book uh, the way it makes it sound is completely different the brainstorm of 1939 the terminology is not as it is today so we're thinking of brainstorming people who constantly think about shit over and over and over and brains (laughs) i see that look i'm gonna have some experience me (laughs) I think it's all of us, right? Who hadn't been down a rabbit hole. Um, so normally we would have Jennifer J. She she's gonna be a co host on this thing and she is off bodybuilding and, you know, hope she does well. You know, she's uh, on a stair stepper right now. She told me she was headed to the stair stepper. So um we are all members of Alcoholics Anonymous. And, however, we don't necessarily represent Alcoholics Anonymous as an organization. We just have experience with that. And, Matt, you got experience with it, right? I've got a lot of experience. So tell us a little bit about your, your just introduce yourself to us. I'm Matt. I'm an alcoholic. Uh, May 6th of 2018 is my sobriety date. And um, we do attend uh, basically the same group uh, together, all three of us. And, uh, yeah, I have a long... Uh, Coming up on five years, and uh, I've learned a little bit. Still got a lot to learn. <laughs> um, as as the days go by, the more I learn, uh, realize what I need to learn. So, um, but yeah, uh, you know, uh, kind of excited to be doing this. So something new for sure. Okay. So this is Matt with uh, almost five years. Mm-hmm. All right. How about Jill? What you tell us a little bit about yourself, Jill? Hey, my name is Jill. I'm alcoholic. Um, my sobriety date is February 15, 2010. God, and what a day that was. The day after Valentine's. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like January 1st. <laughs> so, a little bit about me. Where do I even start? Mm, God bless. <laughs> <laughs> We're about to enter a therapy session. <laughs> No, but seriously. On a dark, stormy night. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. This is our this is our moment of fame. Feels right like here. I was a happy child, you know. I was. <laughs> I never fit in. No, actually, I was that happy child. I, remember I was when ecstatic. I, was I mean, I just I was I had a great great childhood, and I was very happy. Here in here in Bowser City. No, um, actually, I was raised on a hippie farm in the Ozark Mountains, and uh, we were strict vegetarians. ate from our garden, drank our goat's milk. Um, so I was raised on a on a on a farm. Yeah, Shoot. yeah. And then I think about five years later, we moved back to Shreveport, and I've pretty much lived in the Shreveport Bossier area since. Um, but since recovery, you know, I've gotten sober. I've uh, I, I had to leave town. I was just like, I need to get out of here. I do not need to be in this town while I do this. But I did, uh, I moved to Monroe and got sober there and uh, lived in Colorado for a couple of years and then came back home. 
And how long have you been back? About five years. Okay. Mm -hmm. And where did you get sober? Monroe? Monroe. Monroe, Louisiana. Actually, to be... Put that... I can't even think of the words. What's the words I'm trying to say? Say no drugs. Um, Rabel. Yeah. Yeah. It's Rabel not, Recovery? No. Palmetto. Yes. Um, I just want to make sure it's Rabel. Mm -hmm. It's not Rayville. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're very proper down here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Got to get that right. <laughs> it really matters how you pronounce it. It's... Uh, uh, no, no. I have family members that got sober at Palmetto. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah I ended up, uh, you know, going there and lived in a halfway house for about nine months after I left Palmetto, and I uh, worked there for four years. So I've been in the working um, in treatment centers and places like that for the past thirteen years. Okay, and um, so do you remember your very first meeting? Actually, I do. Um, it was 1995, and I was in treatment at uh, Brentwood, and they took us to an outside meeting in their druggy buggy to the Koala Club. And back then, they were smoking in the meeting, and it was just a big cloud of smoke. And from what I perceived, everybody was bitching about... Not being able to drink. Life. <laughs> just, just bitching. Yeah. And um, I, I didn't get anything out of it. But, I mean, I really wasn't paying much attention. I mean, I was, they had me on Xanax, so. Um. At the Koala Club? <laughs> no, Brentwood. Oh. <laughs> um. Hint starts our Xanax problem. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah, that's exactly what happened. Um, and then I stayed on that for the next 20 years. Mm. And, I mean, because I wasn't exactly convinced I had a problem. With Xanax? With anything. And this was your very first exposure to a meeting? Oh, absolutely. And how old were you? 19. Okay. I was young and I knew it all. Well, yes, yeah, we, we get to be that age and then we start forgetting. <laughs> as we, we know it all at 20 and then we start forgetting as I we get older. I don't know nothing today, I'm telling you. I know nothing. I, like yeah. The longer I go, the less I know. So... Um. I agree. I agree. I was I was a complete idiot. And um, I ended up going to a couple of other, Brentwood again and Willis Knighton again. And I just. Arc. You go to Arc Recovery at Willis Knighton or? Willis Knighton South. It was like back then in 95 or 96, like there's their behavioral wellness center or something. So was you terrified at your first meeting? Um, I don't think I was terrified, but I was uh, very judgmental, and I had absolutely nothing in common with these uh, people. Hmm. Yeah. Like I said, I mean, I was not convinced I had a problem, and um, even though I was using on a daily basis and had been using on a daily basis for many, many, many years, I told myself I could quit any time, and I believed it. So, track forward to whenever you, you went to your very first AA meeting and it was a real deal. You were convinced you had a problem. Do you remember that meeting? Um, I don't remember the first week of treatment. Um, and, and we did meetings. I, I still I have my desire chip and I have my 30-day chip, but I do not remember getting either one of them. Um, I had a pretty lengthy detox um, that last time, and I, to be honest with you, no, I wasn't convinced. 
Um, I left treatment after 106 days, and I remember telling my mother, like, nah, this AA thing isn't for me. I don't need to do this. Uh, yeah, I was going to do it on my own. Yeah. But then I moved into a halfway house, and they were like, well, you need to do 180 meetings in 180 days. And I was like, yeah, okay. And it grew on me. Yeah. It really did. I like that terminology. It grew on me. I like that. Yeah. It wasn't at all what I expected, and it's everything that I needed, and... I'm just really grateful that I stuck in there. I mean, I, I went to many meetings, crying, sitting on the back row, not participating, you know, not getting involved, and I struggled bad. Lee. <laughs> I just thought I'd throw the L-I in. <laughs> yeah. well, I don't know. We Proper language, I don't know it. <laughs> Hell, I can barely write. I mean, we are in Louisiana, after all. Yeah, well. This is, yeah, the grammar state. <laughs> you would so I, I read a lot right seriously and um like i read four hours a day every day and i have since oh man long time ago nice but you would think that i could spell but if it wasn't for spell check i probably would you know no one would ever check check back in with me like they would think i was still out there drinking because i can't spell for nothing i just can't i know a lot of brilliant people can't spell at all well, I, mean, I wouldn't call myself brilliant. <laughs> I let other people do that for me. <laughs> I, am, I am sitting at a at a table talking about my, you know, my recovery. Um, but so happy childhood. Yeah. More than one rehab. Yes. How many? Uh, I believe there was uh, a couple of inpatient, you know, like uh, dual diagnosis, uh, more like mental ward places. Um, and then there was Palmetto in in 2010, so about four. The first three times, I, I just wasn't there for drugs, but they were like, you have a drug problem, like a really bad one. Yeah. I mean, I came into treatment with, like, paraphernalia, like razors and mirrors and stuff, and they were like, are you kidding me? We were just talking about <laughs> Jeffrey Dahmer before we started <laughs> So, so that's where the cat problem that came up around Palmetto back in 2010. <laughs> Y'all remember they found a bunch of dead cats out there. How did you know about that? Uh, you just you know these things, huh? I read four hours a day. I know what happened to the cats. <laughs> sure I will never know. say a word. <laughs> <laughs> so do you remember, like, so your, your first meeting was at the Koala Club. Right? Yes. Obviously, you've been to other clubs. Yeah. Because how long have you been coming back to the Koala Club? Um, I just started going back there about seven, eight months ago. That's what I thought. Um, I lived in Shreveport, so I was just basically going to Shreveport meetings, but then I moved out to Bossier, and I lived just right down the street from that. And so I was like, I'll just start going to the Koala Club. And let me tell you something. I felt like a newcomer. Yeah. That all happened o- to me in Mandeville. All mm-hmm. over again. Yeah. Sitting there all shy and, you know, bashful. Remember when you first came in, I asked you, I said, don't you go to Shreveport? Because I was working a job where I had to go to weird hour meetings and stuff. And I remember seeing you at a few meetings and okay. I just re- remembered you. But I was like, yeah, I think you go. But uh, Yeah, I've, I've been in a lot of meetings. Um, and I like to stay in meetings. I have since I've been back. Because that's basically the whole reason I moved back from Colorado. I lived on top of a mountain in Estes Park, and there wasn't a whole lot of meetings. And we'd have to drive 45 minutes to Boulder for a good meeting. 
we get home like around 11. Yeah. And so um, I just, I got weird up there, needless to say. And I decided it was time to come back because I knew what could possibly happen next. Um, and so, and I just d- dove right in, back and, into meetings and all of that. You know, it's amazing. So I just, you know, basically just listened to Jill's story and going from happy childhood to substance issues to many rehabs or you know a few rehabs i guess many could be relative and then getting to a point where you mentally know if i don't do something now i'm headed in that direction and mm-hmm. that's a um that's a telltale you know we we know enough about ourselves that we know just enough that whatever's going on ain't working for us and the, the crazy starts to set back in if it ever really left you know sometimes i think it's just well if you, and i hate to get off into the big book because whoever's listening to this may not have a big book handy and it helps to you know have someone read it but if you look in the big book there's where dr young is talking to this fella who he tells him you know i've never seen an alcoholic as as bad off as you right get get well you know you're you're basically screwed and he said we're trying to set aside what used to be the ideas and emotions for a new set of, of emotions and ideas to come along so he never says remove and you know at this time they knew the problem they knew they had the whole theory of an allergy and and they knew the the phenomenon of craving they knew that you know they had the problem they didn't have the solution i think the one thing bill wilson brought to the table was the solution which is basically just sharing with other people you know or not sharing but working with other people on um on these different things that go on even if it's not working a step it's just going in and talking to them it helps us stay sober when we do that and i think that uh so though it doesn't necessarily say they've been removed they've just been cast to one side so that one could set in and i mean we can take the big book we can take any book and just pick it just to hell and back and give our own little opinions of it but if you look at at other alcoholics besides just the three of us here and look at other people in there you can see where what used to dominate their life no longer does there's something else in there you know it took Mm -hmm. it takes what it takes to get that jolt you know i think staying out of jail is a pretty good domination right you go to jail for a lot of stuff you can go to jail for killing you know i don't go out and kill not kill just to stay out of jail you know and but i not drinking for some reason i've I've, you know I've, i've had my trouble and I'd always been drinking whenever I do. So, mm-hmm. so what about Matt? How many how many times did you attempt to get sober? Um, well, I didn't have any. Uh, we the the woman I was married to, uh, we lived in near Jackson, Mississippi area, and I grew up here, but <clears throat> um, didn't really have any family or resources to like know. Hey. You can go to treatment or you can go to meetings or whatever because nobody around me could spell AA. So, <laughs> and so. Kept putting an E in there, didn't he? Yeah, man. Thought I had a spelling. Man, <laughs> look, that, you know, that, and they were, and, and so it was just not a good environment. But, but I know, I, like, I work with guys now and stuff, and we do step one, and they talk about powerless. I knew for a very long time, I had no question about it that I was horribly addicted to stuff 
the problem was I didn't see a way to change it. And um, I tried a, multiple times, just dry, just quit. And like would have to lock my, my wife and kids at the time, send them to her mother's and go, I'm just gonna climb the walls until this stops. I did that twice. The Waylon and, Jennings approach. Oh yes, sir, old school. And that wasn't fun. And um, I remember looking for my pistol after about nine days one time, and I didn't have any bullets. I was just going to blow my brains out. Yeah. I was like, I'm not doing this, and I can't go back to what I was doing. Um, so I looked up uh, one night. I'd been kicked out of the house. That happened a lot. I don't know if any of y'all ever dealt with that. But uh, I'd been sleeping in my truck for about a week, and it wasn't even my truck. But uh, I'd been sleeping in it. Didn't own the truck either. Um, and uh, didn't have a cell phone. Uh, so I was like, maybe these AA thing, you know, I don't know what that is, but we'll we'll do that. So I looked it up in the yellow pages or whatever, the white pages, AA, and it was a place where I knew. Should have been right there at the beginning. It was. It was real easy <laughs> for me to find with my Louisiana public education. I didn't have to look very far. But, uh, right next to Aardvark Bell Bonds. Yes, yes, and AAA towing <laughs> right before AAA. Y'all so, yes, oh, yeah. Um, AA and Bell Bonds kind of go together, too, but uh, – um, but I uh, looked up a meeting, uh, went to this place, and I sat out in the parking lot, and I mean, sick, shaking, sweating, as bad, probably hadn't bathed in two weeks, you know, couldn't eat any food because I just threw it up. And I remember sitting in the truck, and I was watching those people go in, and they looked so normal. And I was just like, they're going to make fun of me or something. like they're going to be like, what the hell's wrong with you, you know? And I didn't know anything, you know, and I remember sitting out there, and I didn't go in the meeting. And uh, I never went. And um, I went on for about four more years like that, uh, living that way. And um, finally one day, uh, as a matter of fact, my ex-wife now, some of her family, uh, she didn't eat, wasn't, didn't even care, you know. But they came down, and they were like, hey, we have a detox place that will take you if you want to go detox. And uh, for whatever reason, I decided to do that. And uh, I, I was, it was that or kill myself, you know, and, and I'm not even joking. It was, it was at that point. And uh, they took me that night uh, to a detox place. And um, I, like you, had a long detox because I had a variety of substances in my body. Um, so I was in there about five days and then um, I remember sitting in there, and there was an old man. He played football for Johnny Vault at Ole Miss back in the day, and he had 44 years clean from pills and alcohol, which were my two main uh, sports that I played. And I was laying on that plastic seat in there before the meeting, and it was like hours sober, not even a day. And he was sitting in the back of the room, and I would actually go to the meetings in the detox. Like, nobody else did that because it was optional. And I'm laying across the seat, and I was like, hey, dude, do they just – what do they do? Like, do they take this – like, they're going to give me a brain transplant? Or, like, are they going to brainwash me? How How is this going to work? Because I see no way that this works. And he's like, oh, no, man. You know, he's all calm. And, you know, he's like, it's not a big deal, man. You just you – know. And I was like, it's not going to work. This is terrible. This already is not working. You know, if they don't it's do already a, not working. If they don't do a brain transplant, yeah, or something, <laughs> they don't know who they're fooling with here, you know. Mm. And 
they did know who they were fooling exactly. with. You know? Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, um, but, you know, for, for whatever reason, I kind of stuck with it and uh, had a bed open at a facility in Corinth, Mississippi. It was about three hours north of there, almost to Memphis. And uh, I'd never been there, and I knew it was five hours from where I lived, and I didn't have a phone. And I was like, well, I can't just leave. So if they send me up there, it's a long walk, and I'm lazy, so I'm not going to walk back. So maybe I'll stay. And uh, I did. I went to that place, didn't know anything, didn't ask any questions, just went. And uh, I went in, and I sat down, and the counselors rotated. Um, I guess those clients came in. And just so happened, the lady of all the counselors there that, that got me that day, shout out to Miss B, by the way, and uh, was just just like leveling man and we sat in there and she said if you'll do the stuff that i'm asking you to do we can get this on track and i said for once in my life i said i'll do whatever you tell me to do i'm not going to ask no questions and um she was great i think if i would have had any of those other counselors they were very medically they were not one of us come to find out miss b was the only one of us that actually worked there and um it was like a kind of a thing opened and they had an optional deal to stay um, for an extra 60 days. And I tipped in there about 20 days in and I was like, well, I'm pretty much cured. You know, I think we're good. <laughs> yeah. And she said, no, I think you need to stay a while longer with us. And I was like, let's pray about that. I said, I'm going to go back here and pray. You pray up here. I don't think you've prayed about it. And let's, we'll come back together later on this. I, you said that real quick. And she goes, you can go pray about it, but when you come back, that's still the, the deal. And I was like, I ain't going to tell you what I said because we're recording. But I was like, all right. So I went back and laid on my bunk, and I went, you know, I told her I'd do whatever. So I did. And that was a game changer was staying that extra amount of time. Uh, the long detox, by the way, I did wind up. I went about three days in there hallucinating. Shoes were moving across the floor, all that good stuff. They're like, we're going to detour this for a minute. They took me to a Brentwood-type facility, a little one, and I remember waking up that morning and, uh, um, you know, they had taken the shoes out of my shoelaces, and I had a 4X men's scrub top and a men's small pants <laughs> with no shoelaces. Like Peter Griffin. But here's, here's what's jacked up, okay? I'm complaining about shoelaces, but the shoes that I own, the only pair I own didn't have any rubber on them. So when you don't get shoelaces with that, it's hard to hold that together. So it's just like little stuff flopping. Like there was barely enough to hold them together. And I remember sitting there that morning watching all them guys walk around that day room, and I was like, you are the coolest dude on the planet right now. Like, you've, you've come a long way with your life, you know? And that was a moment of me sitting on that couch and going, you got to get this crap together, man. So, um, but they were the sweetest people on the planet. And I got out, moved from where I was at, um, back here where I grew up, and uh, good support from my family, my brothers, and um came in the Koala Club. It was the first one I ever went to outside of treatment. And, uh, um, yeah, it was uh, it was some anxiety, but it was a lot less anxiety than suicide. So that's what I did. And I didn't know what the hell everybody was talking about. And I didn't really care because they just said go to meetings. So that's where I went and kept doing that. When you when you talk about your suicide, did you, did you reach the point where – 
and and alcohol can do this to you, right? But did you reach the point where you made up your mind? I'm going to kill myself. I'm put put it, let me let me change that a little bit. If you had bullets, I'd would you have actually killed day. yourself? Yeah. So you yeah. reach that point to yeah. where there's no return. I laid in my floor of my living room on about day eight or nine, and I had thrown up everywhere. I couldn't hold any food down. I couldn't stand the smell of food. I was laying in my boxers, pouring sweat. I weighed about 140 pounds, and I could not go any further. Like my brain, just all that stuff when we get sober starts coming back, and then you're withdrawn, and it was like, there was nobody. I didn't even have a phone to call anybody. Like, it was just, I was just trying to gut it out. And, uh, yeah, and I mean, I joke about it, but literally, I tore that house apart if I could have found one bullet. And the way I do things, I'd have probably shot my ear off or something and well, only had one bullet. So yeah. that's what would have happened. Would have wasted it. And but, a pierced ear. And a pierced ear, you know. Yeah, the gauges uh, and the big gauge. That's was, a 9 millimeter. <laughs> that's a 12 gauge. You know? That's what that is. But, <laughs> yeah, I can only imagine. Uh, you know. So you had, a, you, had a, you had a pistol or a shotgun? I had a pistol. Okay. Pistol. okay. You just said gauge. No, I'm just that. making sure. Cause, yeah, I, uh, yeah, so so it was, uh, that was a lot of fun, you know, and I finally went back to doing what I was doing because I was like, I'm, I'm going to, you know, but it kept on and kept on, and then it got so bad that uh, I knew I couldn't go through that again, and but I couldn't keep doing what I was doing, and like, uh, yeah, and I was just like, I don't see no way out of this, you know, like, and uh, so thank God for Alcoholics Anonymous tell you that and a whole lot of people so yeah people is uh you know i i had a sponsor down in new orleans his name is jerry and and whether or not i agree with what jerry says or don't say you know it really didn't matter he was my sponsor and he would always say that you know god speaks to us through people you know that he had never had this epiphany or this thing come into his head to where you know it was telling him in his voice go do this or don't do that he would it would be god speaks to him through people and how i treat people is how god wants me to treat people and therefore i'm doing god's work or you know that that's the way he put it and you know we talked today in a meeting about relationships right and if you think about it and i don't know about you guys i know for me and and i have a very limited life you know, um, but relationships make up probably ninety five percent of my life, right? I mean, like ninety five percent, and those are relationships with coworkers, relationships with my fellow people at Alcoholics Anonymous, relationships with with everybody. And and the 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 thing about it is, alcohol caused me to almost completely withdraw from people totally out of out of that little. So I walk in, hey, these people are there, you know, I didn't get the invite, you know, I don't know if y'all got the, you know, the memo in the mail said, hey, Mike, come see us, you know, but I walk in there and I don't want anything to do with these people, these same people who are going to ultimately spend their time saving my life, isn't it, isn't it the way we, the alcohol does that to us, and it, it and the reason I brought up the whole suicide thing is because, <laughs> And I listen to you guys' stories, and you know, and, and it almost makes me and my little story feel inadequate, you know, because uh, I had a, uh, I had, I came into AA thinking, man, I had, you know, I've dug this this huge hole, 
and my life is just absolutely pitiful and horrible and you know nobody loves me and you know and and to be quite honest with you compared to you guys stories i i was a spoiled ass brat at 38 years old i was spoiled i mean it's just the way the way it worked for me and and i did not grow up spoiled i grew up and 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 you know we had limited means my dad was the 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 household earner i guess i want to use correct language i don't want to say anything that's going to offend anybody so my dad earned the paycheck and that that supported us and he uh we had three of us you know me and my my little sisters who you know i say little sisters are 43 years old today but it was us and my mother my mother took care of us and so growing up we didn't you know our life wasn't like that you know but by the time i was 38 years old when i got sober i was sitting here thinking that nobody had a life as bad as i did right and and i i suicide though you know was where i was going with that you brought up suicide and i had reached that point i'd reached the point of suicide to where i made up my mind this is going to happen right now i'm fixing to go in here and my my method was uh, to take a whole bunch of blood pressure medicine i had like a 90 day supply and i hadn't been taking it i was going to take all 90 days worth and and go to sleep you know that's what i figured would happen i I have still to this day have not researched even if that you know it could take some adverse kind of like overdosing on viagra or something i don't know what's going to happen with that right but i'm just saying i was going to take the whole 90 day supply and go to sleep but i had reached that i was going to let jill comment on that i'm (laughs) staying out of that one she's the counselor but i had reached that decision and once you reach that decision it's almost like a flip a switch flips in your brain and i haven't been the same since right so an act of god interrupted that and a literal act of god like lightning struck and it it interrupted my you know like i'm headed to the old west to do something and all of a sudden earthquake happens and i don't get to do it right wow yeah yeah an act of god and i've had that happen twice in my recovery an Mm -hmm. act of god you know and and anybody can debate that all they want but an act of god actually caused the the uh pause long enough for me to realize this isn't what i want to do but once i reach that point i have i feel personally like i haven't been the same myself have same self as i was before i just there is only so much that i will even tolerate now from mm-hmm. from people you know who in out there it's just like hey you know get off your pity pot and but i don't share you know get off your pity pot i was at the verge of suicide and something you know i don't get all into that but it, as far as you know the recovery experience you know there's only so much i'm gonna listen to and and put up with so i um you know but my this goes back to the spoiled brat thing right my experience with my very first aa meeting was kind of like jill said when she came to the koala club you know i i said i i went straight for, i went to brentwood six times inpatient outpatient i went to the arc which is a willis Knight program um most of these things were and we say in aa you know we had a back problem you know well i had an ass problem <laughs> Because I had to keep people off my ass. ass and, and, you know, I had the kids, uh, my ex-wife, God love her. You know, I'm, I'm going to say this, and, and if it hadn't have been for her completely giving up on me, 
I probably would not have even made another attempt. But she completely, I called her the last time and said, hey, I'm going back to Brentwood. This time it's going to work. And she said, good luck. I hope it works for you, man, but I can't have nothing to do with you. And, you know, me and her have been friends since we were 15, 14, 15 years old. So, and then, you know, of course, you have the children and their aspect of it. But I walk into the room, I get out of Brentwood and checking out, had some issues checking out. And they said, you need to go to an AA meeting. And I remember thinking to myself, I've been here like 15 days, right? I remember thinking, you know, I probably should. They really need my help over there. They could use some of my wisdom at the local, you know. And I had been to the Koala Club 20 years before. Someone came and picked me up and took me to the Koala Club, and I guess it was biker night or something from my memory. You know, I didn't think I even had a drinking problem, you know, but obviously somebody did. Somebody just drops by the house and says, hey, I'm, my wife is friends with your wife, and we think you need to go to the Koala Club. Oh, wow. Club. Yeah. And uh, I think we... I, I hate to give bad info here, but I think all four of us loaded up in some form of, of vehicle and headed over to the Koala Club. And I'll, I'll just, you know, it just that kind of stuff is not for me. It's just not for me. So I'm not a joiner, you know, thanks but no thanks kind of situation. And it took 11 years after that very first thing. It took 11 years for me to uh, to pull my head out of, out of wherever. But it took 11 years of loss. It took getting to the brink of suicide. It took me... Uh, um losing pretty much everything materially you know but when i started to lose myself right so i get out of brentwood anyway and i'm gonna go help these folks because i have 15 days of recovery and you know most of which it was like had barbiturates to keep me from you know well uh season and i go over there and i'm gonna tell you i did like i shared today i felt like everybody in that room had their stuff together I walk in the room. You don't know how long anybody's been there, right? You can right. see Matt, Jill, or Fred, Ted. You don't have a clue. Some people you think just got there be like, you know, have a sobriety date like back in the 70s or 80s. And, and then others that sit there all confident and they, that you think their sobriety yep. date is, uh, you know, you think that they have this long sobriety date and you find out they've been sober three weeks. Well, so I walk in there, but I'm terrified. You know, my, just to be quite honest, if there's a newcomer listening out there, I was terrified. I didn't want any part of this, but I had to do it. You know, we talk about courage, and that's having fear and still going about and doing it. And and I had the fear enough that I had to do it. You know, I, I was absolutely terrified of the people. And then you guys probably, I know I know you don't. Matt might remember a little bit. Jill wasn't around. But we had folks in there like, uh, dang, Woodrow. That and, whole back row. And Batman. and was just loads of old men. It was like gazillions of years. Now, someday, you know, I'm hoping I get to be one of them I old mean, men people are talking you're, about. You're, you're pretty old, Mike. Yeah, I'm getting there, man. I'm 50 years old, bro. So, But, you know, the, the talking about the newcomer, that that sitting in my truck that night, is why I am the way I am today when new people come in. Because I remember sitting in that truck and I remember that whole deal. And I've sat in there and watched people come down the hall with somebody else and they get to the open door and they turn and walk right back out. And I have literally got up and jogged up, hey, come sit down, you want a cup of coffee? You know, because yeah. I know all that. I know all that. And, uh, 
a lady in our club the other night. We got up to pray, and she looked over at me just out of the blue, and it, it brought tears to my eyes, and she said, you're my first day person. And I said, what does that mean? And she said, you're the first person that ever talked to me when I came in this room. And I said, I don't think you could give me a better compliment ever. It means a lot to me. And I just don't want, I know people are going to feel that way, but I don't want them to feel feel that if I can help it yeah. and be there, you know. And uh, um, I was actually going and somebody came in the other day and uh, I got up to go introduce myself to them. And one of our regulars goes, what are you running for mayor or something? And I just looked at him. I said, whatever you want to call it. I don't, I don't care. Whatever you want to call it. It's fine. And, uh, I just went on, but, uh, um, that place is really good. And I see a lot of people, um, the, the attitude of the place and the attitude of the people chairing the meetings. And I've been in them where I've been in them where a guy got up and said, I don't care about this meeting. I was asked to chair it at the last minute. I don't feel good. And I just went, what if you're walking off the street and this is what you get right here? Mm-hmm. They're out. They're never coming Absolutely. back, you know? And uh, I just feel like in there we laugh and we joke. And the biggest thing for me sitting in there was like Randy was one of the first people I ever heard me, share that I listened to. Me too. And I was just like, he's so funny. He's so, like, just throws his bit. I'm like, how are these people throwing their business out here? Like, I'm not telling about, you know? And they're laughing, and they're just like, whatever. So, and I'm going, what are we doing in here? Like, what are they, you know? And now it's just, it's such a, and I just went, this is real in here. Whatever's going on is real. It may not always be pretty or polished or none of that, but every second of it is real. And uh, that's why I keep hanging around, so. Yeah, I, well, it's, and to say there's nothing to be terrified about i would i would probably be remiss but like you you know even when i share i try to think about that newcomer yeah and if if there's anything i could tell a newcomer regardless of what you see on the outside because we see a lot of stuff happen on the outside people for some reason even as a newcomer i would pay attention to what vehicles people drove how they dressed all these all these what things that just do not matter and and on the inside we are exactly the same we have been there man i'm telling you in my last treatment last stint in treatment there was a cat that called me in his office he was running a, running a, i guess he was a head counselor or the counselor whatever you know he was running a thing and he called me in the office and he's like you know why do you keep coming back why do you keep coming here man you are you're wasting your time you're wasting our time we'll keep taking your money but he talked for a few minutes and then he set a 25 year chip down on the table i'm i'm thinking it was 25 i may be wrong but i'm thinking it was 25 and that's been 12 years ago the dude's got like 37 years now but he said i know exactly how this is going to happen i know exactly what's going to happen with you and then he started telling me about stuff that was happening at work that he had no way of knowing stuff that was happening in my family that he had no way of knowing and he said um i asked him kind of in a general way how do you even know this stuff and he basically said because every single person that comes in here has the exact same problems you are no different man and i thought i was a cool cat you know i I thought i was like charlie sheen on two and a half men yeah so unique yeah i was (laughs) Yeah, and and truth is, you know, I was dying. I was dying on the inside. So, you know, the terror and the uh, the, those kind of things, we have to 
sometimes get past. You and, know, and I think people have images of things that doesn't always turn out to be that way. You know, and uh, um, you know, you build it up in your head, and like I like I said, sitting in that truck, and you're sitting out there, and you're like, man, they're just gonna all be like, look at this loser. You know, look at this dude. <laughs> I mean, let's all toast his butt you know and uh or it's just gonna be a bunch of old men that are all pissed because they can't drink anymore and everybody's made them stop drinking and i was like i don't want to be a part of that i already know i can't do that you know and uh couldn't be further from the truth but isn't that isn't that crazy you know one of the first things that happened to me and maybe y'all have some memories of some of these things that happened in your first few meetings it may not have been the first one but one of the first things that happened to me is phil f walked up to me and he, you know, he's he's rubbing my shoulders from behind, which already got a wide field. You know, <laughs> I have never been in jail that long. You know, but he walks up behind me, he's rubbing my shoulders, and he says, "Uh, so you're new here, you know?" And I was like, "Yes, sir." You know, I was, I was still respectful, and I was worried he was going to try to gang save me. Mm-hmm. And he, he's like, "Well, that's all right. It's, it's okay to be new, but do you have a big book?" And I said, "Yes, sir. I have I have a lot of big books." They give you one every time you go to treatment. And he said, have you read the doctor's opinion? And I said, yes, sir, I've, I've read it a lot. He goes, why don't you go home tonight and read it again? And I said, okay. I was just, at that point, I was just, <laughs> the facade kind of fell away. And mm-hmm. I just kind of said, maybe I need to listen to one of these guys. And he had given his sobriety date earlier in the meeting, which is 1979. So... You know, my head goes straight to, I'm six years old. You know, the Bee Gees are famous. Um, some of these big acts that are now old haven't even been thought of. You know, Guns N' Roses is still ten years away. You know, so Molly Crew and all those fellas hadn't came along. And, and there's, there's this guy that's been coming this long. And my second thought was, you've been coming around since 1979. What the hell is wrong with you? Mm-hmm. You know, how, why? Why are why? you still here? <laughs> yeah, well, well, <laughs> Jesus, yeah. what a drinking problem. You know, <laughs> good Lord. Some may be sicker than others. And this, Man. This fella here has got yeah. a bad case of yeah. it. But do y'all have any of those things that kind of stood out in one of your first meetings? Jill, do you? Someone that might have approached you or, mm. I mean, in a positive way. I mean, I just, I really don't recall. I, I was just not doing well for many years and in um, in the program yes i fought it i fought it and i wasn't those people one of those people that hey i'm gonna fake it till i make it i cried i was pissed and um that was the majority of my first couple of years um you know i had an amazing sponsor and i did what i was supposed to do majority of the time but I had a very difficult time writing in my emotions, and for the longest time, I thought everybody was full of shit. I did. Everybody was. Um, and they didn't understand as well. You know, and, and so I didn't believe anybody. Um, I trusted my sponsor, but I still, like, didn't think she understood. Um, again, that, that terminal uniqueness. Um, it was it was just kind of ridiculous. You still have the same sponsor? No, no. She ended up passing away of cancer, but um, I have a great sponsor now. I've had her for the past five years. Okay. Um, you know, been through the steps uh, God, about eight or so times, and um, which 
it's a beautiful thing every time I go through them something you know really cool happens but um I've had guidance you know but I just I wish I could put this into words about how deranged I was for so long and 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 it took me years to fully fully surrender to AA um you know I would give just a little bit and then take it back give a little bit take it back and um you know, I was still trying not to make many meetings because, like, maybe I can stay sober and do, like, one meeting every month or every two weeks or something like that. And I was just always trying to figure out a way out of it. I just wasn't convinced, like, this is what my rest of my life was going to be. And that was, for you know, the first five years of my recovery. Uh, but once I surrendered, I mean, I was like, I'm in. You know, I started realizing that I'm a much happier person when I'm in like three or four meetings a week. Yeah. And, and that's what I do now. Um, but as far, I, I mean, I don't recall. Well, how about you? Do you have any? Here's what I recall. Mike, Larry, Rhonda, Bill H., who's speaking, coming up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Philip. Those people were the first, and Jennifer, were the first handful of people when I came in that room that introduced themselves to me. Randy. Randy was another one that I remember distinctly. Larry was the first one. Larry immediately, hey, man, how you doing? Miss Rhonda was the second. But you guys, and what all that has in common is y'all all have many years of sobriety, and y'all still do that. And But I got in there, and I heard Phil, and he says May of 79, and I'm going, dude, I was born in March of 79. And I have 97 days of sobriety right now. Like, I can't do whatever he's doing. Like, there's something wrong with that dude. Like, I, th- that's not happening. So, but then, uh, and I didn't know this was a program thing. I just didn't know what it was. But I go about a week, right? I asked my sponsor on my second day because my counselor, love her to death, said, listen, idiot, when you leave here, wherever you're going on this planet, you just go find an AA meeting and go in there and get somebody to sponsor you. Don't wait. Don't collect $200. Don't do none of that. Yes, ma'am. So my second meeting I went to, Bobby had raised his hand both times. The second meeting I asked him to sponsor me. He did. But I sat in there and, and was pretty miserable. And then a guy came in, and I couldn't identify with all that. I couldn't. 20 years and all that shit I was like man I, I can't make l- to lunch is what I'm trying to mm-hmm. do right now just make yeah. it to lunch time and um, I uh, a guy came in and he sat down in front of me one night in the middle of the room and he had his arm up on the chair he was ghost white man sweaty and his hand was up on the armrest in front of me and he had a napkin a Kleenex and his hand was just shaking and he was wadding that Kleenex up and it was just powder by the end of the meeting and I was like, I don't know who this dude is, but he's sick, dude, way sicker than me. You know, and it dawned on me, oh, uh, wait, I'm not that bad anymore. And it was only like nine. So after the meeting, I'm like, hey, man, you okay? Like, you look jacked up, you know, and he's like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. So that guy's my friend today, and he's got about a, about the same length. But we talk to each other every, every day. His name's Brooks. And uh, Brooks lived with his mother. And he won't mind me telling this because he, he's told a lot of people and was shooting Oxycontin in his arm yeah. and passing out in a recliner with lit cigarettes. All his pants had holes in them from cigarette burns at night, nodding off. And 
uh, he was 30 something years old and uh, we kind of came in and like we were like tight and then we found out we did the same kind of work and so every day at 5.30 we always talked and he's like this sucks and I was like I know but it doesn't su it sucks for me too but it doesn't suck as bad as it does for you right now so keep coming it'll get less suckier and that's what and for like a year we just less suckied it every day and uh, I mean for lack of a better word and today Brooks has two beautiful babies he lives in Benton he has a house he is a head administrator at a rehab facility yeah go figure nice. that one out yeah. and uh when i call that dude in the middle of the night and i have called him with people at my doorstep in the middle of the night he answers the phone and he goes what's up and i go i got somebody needs help and he goes i got him and we get him in treatment and that's how brooks rolls and i couldn't deal with the 30 years and all that stuff i do now i love to hear that and, and i love that they sit in there because i want people to see that and that's to me that's service work when joe and phil are sitting in there and they say their sobriety date they're letting people know and you and randy and all the uh, you you know they're going okay i can achieve something here you know it's it's possible to do that and uh but when i first came in i was like there's no shot at yeah that. i mean i was yeah. so consumed in self-pity and self that i just i couldn't <laughs> i know i fathom you shut out what everybody's saying because the most important person in the room is me. me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's why I was like, I can't remember because I think I was so consumed in poor pitiful me and I need help. And But like Brooks, Brooks though, what was so weird and I thought about it, we've even talked about it years later and I'm like, here's what's crazy, dude. You had a little, just a few months less than I did. But I was able to get through it because I was I was thinking about encouraging you instead of, and I didn't even know that was the program. You know, I didn't know that's what it was based on. But by talking to him after the meetings, then I went home and I was like, okay, it's not that bad. I'm not as bad as Brooks. That's what I told Brooks. I was like, I just used you as an example. Of like, I'm past that point, you know? Yeah. And, well, you know, I'm, uh, I'm going to read a little bit out of the doctor's opinion because this is what stuck out to me whenever uh, Phil told me that day to go home and read it. And I know no alcoholic likes to be read at, but I'm, I'm going to read just this little, uh, it's a whole paragraph, but I'm going to read it. So, Men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. Essentially, that's why they drink. The sensation is so elusive that, while they admit it is injurious, they cannot, after a time, differentiate the true from the false. To them, their alcoholic life seems the only normal one. They are restless, irritable, and discontented, unless they can again experience the sense of ease and comfort which comes at once by taking a few drinks, drinks which they see others taking with impunity. After they have succumbed to the desire again, as so many do, the phenomenon of craving develops. And they pass through the well-known stages of a spree, emerging remorseful with the firm resolution not to drink again. Ever been there? I have. This is repeated over and over, and unless the person can experience an entire psychic change, there is very little hope of his recovery. And... That Just that one little snippet helped me out just a little bit, and maybe it'll help that person out that's trying to debate on whether or not they're going to attend Alcoholics Anonymous. And, um, you know, at least have the willingness that it takes to come in, and instead of, like, like Jill was talking about, i got so much anxiety and so much stuff going on, maybe I can just stop and listen to someone else. Because, you know, as I've listened to you two, your stories tonight, you know, I'm sitting here thinking you know wow my story's not that bad you know i didn't you know and you know truth is my story's not over yet 
you know that I'm, I'm i think travis says it best when he says everything i own can fit in a shot glass absolutely everything i have in my whole life will fit in a shot glass and once i'm on i'm on buddy it's, mm-hmm. it's just no no holes bar um so we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and close out this episode um the next episode i, I do want to kind of lead into what we're going to be talking about on the next episode and I'm, I'm going to deliver the content to whoever wants to hear it in, in kind of the order I took it. So I would like to discuss, and, and you two be thinking, because I would like to have you two back if y'all have time, sure. maybe later in the week or somewhere. Just, and I don't know when this is going to be produced. I'll edit some of this out and, you know, smirch it into about a 45-minute section. But um, And we've been talking, believe it or not, for 53 minutes. Wow. Almost 53 minutes we have sat here and discussed stuff, you know, almost the full length without all the preambles and stuff. But we're going to talk about getting that sponsor. Yep. That yep. is going to be because okay. that for me, you know, and no, this is not all about me. Right. But for me, that was the second hardest thing to do was get that sponsor. Walking in the room <laughs> was tough with getting it's like asking a girl to a dance, which I've never done but because it's a dude. <laughs> but I was scared they would say no. So I just never did it. And and my experience with that, talking to my very first sponsor, and my by the way, my first sponsor passed away as well. He 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 got a, right after we did the twelve steps and he introduced me to the to uh, the uh service work. Yeah. He uh, got a heart condition and he needed a transplant. He needed it like fast and Mine, mine probably will hear this at some point, and he's real elderly. I want to get that on the internet or wherever this is going, just so he can hear that. He'll be proud. He'll well, I th- love it. I think Matt came into the rooms of AA and, and found out you can lie about fishing and get away with it, and he's like, "I found my tribe." <laughs> he looked at me yesterday and he goes, "You got a birthday coming up?" And I said, "Yeah." He goes, "We're going to rework the twelve steps of alcoholics Anonymous, all of them start to finish and i said man i wanted to do that and he goes it has nothing to do with alcohol you have a fishing issue that we're going to work out and it's going to be about fishing i went oh well that wasn't what i meant but all right we'll do that <laughs> let's too. do it so well matt jill thank you guys for coming by i look forward to recording our next episode and hopefully it'll be within the next uh next few days or so all sounds right. good all right thank you. thanks guys